This is Laura Anderson, president of Veterinary Career Services, a recruiting firm for veterinarians, veterinary specialists, and management professionals. Please join me for our podcast series, Is Veterinary Medicine Ready for a Chief Culture Officer? The top priority today for veterinarians who are seeking a new position is hospital culture. So what exactly does that mean? How do we find out the true culture of a veterinary hospital? I am interviewing chief culture officers in various industries to get a better understanding of workplace culture, how it can be changed, and how to research the culture of a veterinary hospital if you are looking for a new position. We hope you enjoy this series. Thank you for joining us. Today, I am speaking with Tom Walter, who holds many titles, including Chief Culture Officer of Tasty Catering, Serial Entrepreneur, and co-author of an award-winning book, It's My Company Too. Tom has been the Chief Culture Officer at Tasty Catering for almost 30 years. This is a high-quality caterer in Chicago, and the company has won multiple awards and recognitions, including... Inc. Magazine, Winning Workplaces for Top Small Workplace, Forbes, America's Best Small Companies list, and also has been put on Crane's Chicago Best Places to Work. And Tom, thank you for speaking with me today. Although you are a founder of Tasty Catering, I believe that you and your employees created your position as Chief Culture Officer together. Can you tell me how that came about? Well, certainly, uh Actually, I was told that that was my new title by a 22-year-old young lady who was our chief marketing officer. And uh, she uh, decided that if I focused, I asked her, why did you give me this title? What does it mean? And uh, she said, well, organizational behavior, the foundation of organizational behavior is antecedents lead to behaviors which lead to consequences. And uh, the outcome of every organization is directly related to its behaviors. So We have given you our culture. We've given you the values, the vision, and the mission. And uh, now if you focus on us behaving and following that, then we don't have to worry about the outcome. It'll be great. It'll be just what our culture is. And uh, my gosh, that young lady was absolutely correct. I focused on the behavior of Tasty Catering, and uh, life changed drastically. So what's the biggest change, Tom? Well, it went from command and control of Tasty Catering, uh, where I'm the owner and I have two brothers who are partners, so we are the owners, and therefore that gives us uh, power to tell you what to do and how to do it and how to think, and um, that's the old command and control uh, traditional way of being a leader. And they wanted to change it to us following values, so it was no longer uh, my decision on how you should be following uh, the orders. It should be, uh, are we doing this in a respectful manner? Are we being ethical with each other? So we have seven core values, and now the values run the business, not so much the individuals. So our first core value is we're always moral, ethical, and legal. Second is treat all with respect. The third is quality in everything we do. Fourth is high service standards. The fifth is competitiveness, a strong determination to be the best. And the sixth is an individual circle of discipline. And seventh is freedom and responsibility within that circle of discipline. So what that means is that 
if we follow those seven core values, there isn't anybody that's in charge. There isn't anybody that's in control. It's the culture telling us how to behave. We know what the duties have to be and how to get them done. So it's removed giving orders from the system. There's very few order givers. And we did about 9,500 events last year. And even out in the events, whether it be a wedding or a large outdoor event or a small indoor event, um, People know what they have to do because it's their number six, their circle of discipline, and they have freedom and responsibility to do it the right way, the agreed-upon matter of behavior, and get it done. And that's been a big change because uh, it allows people to think constructively, to be critical thinkers instead of just critical doers. So tell me about the core values. You have mentioned to me previously that these values were defined by everyone and or team leaders. How did that process happen? Well, we used the uh, book Good to Great by Jim Collins because it came in Spanish and English. And we have a large percentage of our employees are uh, Span- have Spanish as their primary language. So we chose this book and we broke the company into teams. Uh, teams are much more manageable than departments. And the teams are about nine people on an average Um, Yeah, about an average of nine people per team. And we read the book, be it in Spanish or English. Weekly, there'd be a book club, and we'd read a chapter at a time and discuss it within the team meetings. And then at the end, uh, we gave the employees a list of about 125 core values, recognized organizational core values like ethics, respect, uh, integrity. And we asked them to pick the most uh, important ones for their group. So then we had a representative from each team go into a conference room to choose the values. And uh, my brothers and I asked if we could participate in this program. And the young man and lady that originally told us to change or they were leaving said, you can come in the room, but there's no place at the table for you. You can sit in the corner. And that was a major trust moment. You know, do we trust them to do this? And I thought we always have the power of veto. We can always tell them to stop and go back to work. But uh, we went into the room and sat there. And the young man that asked us to change was writing on the whiteboard. And the young lady, he was 24 years old, and the young lady was 23 years old. And uh, she was leading, she would go from team to team and say, What were your important core values? And they started to list the core values on the whiteboard. And after about, let's say, 15 or 18 core values, they just became repetitive. And then discussion ensued, and they moved, uh, you know, like always being legal, being moral, ethical. They condensed that to always moral, ethical, and legal. And uh, within about an hour and a half, maybe 90 minutes approximately, they defined the seven core values, and they chose them in order of importance to them which was significant. You know, the first one will always be moral, ethical, and legal. That was the most important for everybody in that room and their team. Second one, treat all with respect. So they listed the nine core va- or the seven core values, and they took it back to their team, and all the teams approved it. If it wasn't unanimous, we wouldn't have, you know, we would have continued the discussion. So as Tim said at the time, if they create it, they'll follow it. If we create it, they'll reject it. And uh, he was right. They created it, and they followed it, and they're call- they've started calling each other out and holding each other accountable for it from the day we put the boards up on the wall that listed the seven core values. And, of course, the first one to be called out for violating them was me. <laughs> so I had to be the example. It was a funny story is that um, one of our salespersons forgot to click a box in the computer program for 
charging a liquor bar, and the liquor bar was about $4,000 for a party. And I read the after-action report in the middle of the night, and I said, why didn't she charge for that? And the crew leader said, why was there no charge for the liquor bar? And I came in in the morning, and I was hostile and angry and livid. And uh, I went up to her desk, and I said in a very loud voice, very visibly upset, can you tell me, explain why you didn't charge those that $4,000? And she turned around and looked at me, and she said, is this number two? <laughs> Score value number two. Are you treating me with respect? And uh, I looked at her, and I realized that there was complete silence in the office of about 15 people, absolute silence. And looking back, this was a watershed moment. And I said, no, I apologize. I was not treating you with respect. I apologize. But could you explain to me as what you did number three, five, and seven? And those are three values that she violated. And she laughed and she says, no, I'm sorry, I violated those. And that was the end of it. We made a mistake. We learned from it. She just forgot to click the box that... You know, it's automatically a default that it's there's no charge, and then you have to click it on so there would be a charge. She made a simple mistake that cost us a lot of money, and we learned from it. But more importantly, that four thousand uh-huh. dollar error taught the company how to call out somebody for making a violating the core values. That's a great example, and I'm sure it, you know it also helped solidify the team, so to speak, to see your core values and somebody being held accountable. Actually, it working to create a a culture that works. Yeah, could it have been any, could we have scripted any better, Laura? I mean, the the senior leader <laughs> being called out by a, a lady salesperson, <laughs> not even a member of the leadership team, but just a, a, and she happens to be a dear friend of mine before she even worked for us. I mean, she, there was a level of trust that existed, but it couldn't have been scripted any better. And uh, thank heavens, the Holy Spirit was in my tent or something, but I was able to apologize and set an example that this is the way it should be done. What happens, Tom, if you don't adhere to the core values? I believe you had mentioned that maybe there are three three chances or three write-ups. Well, typically, we will uh, we will call somebody out for violating a value, whether it's, uh, you know, is this the best you could do? So competitiveness is strong determination to be the best. We'll say, I don't think you follow number five on this or quality of service, whatever it may be. There, there's some systems that uh, we just use them for the system part service standards. So that's not a major violation, but if it's something egregious, um, such as a lie, telling a lie or gossiping about somebody, uh, will the person will be written up for that. And uh, the write-up is a pretty formal uh, procedure as it is in any, every company. But after three write-ups for violating the values, you're terminated. And the third, the third write-up is you go home, you're done. And we don't hire you back for it because of the values violation. So that's uh, it's proved to be effective. By the time we get to number two, the behaviors change. And the third time, I'll never forget one man that we terminated when we told him we're writing him up for the third one. He says, yeah, I get it. I should be fired. I was given enough warning. So he accepted his termination very nicely. And I wrote him a nice letter of recommendation for the talents that he did have and uh, we remained friends, but he just couldn't follow the respect part of treating people with respect and not gossiping about people. Mm-hmm. That's a big one, too. So, Tom, what are some other ways that you affect the culture within Tasty Catering? We also use it as a reward methodology. Uh, it's an approach that uh, when we compliment someone, we try to find a value that that, that resonates with the actual action. And... Um, 
that's a, a way to bring it into a positive and use it as an example when talking about how the company operates and, and the behaviors within the company that we following our values and, our, and we're a culture driven company. We use the uh, culture, we market our values with our clients and we tell our clients this is our behaviors and please don't hesitate to hold us accountable to these behaviors. And uh, we also hold our vendors to our values and we've terminated relationships with vendors and clients because they didn't follow our values. Um, one client uh, abused one of our employees by lying about that employee and putting them in a very, uh, very sensitive situation with their clients. And, you know, they said that we promised that there'd be a certain beverage with the order and we never made that promise. We told them we didn't carry that beverage. And if you wanted, we could stop and pick it up. So they made, uh, we didn't have the beverage that they chose and they made the, our employee apologize to their guests for, for being an idiot and forgetting to bring it. Being an idiot is my term. I shouldn't say that for not bringing sure. agreed upon beverage. And he did. And he came back and he was frustrated and, and he told us from the cell phone in the parking lot what happened. And, uh, we, my brother called that client and terminated them right there and said, we don't want to do business with you anymore. You can keep your money. We have no uh, desire to do any kind of business with you. Two years later, uh, that client came back to us and said they had terminated that person and would like to have our services back. So that's an example of our employees realize that we will use our values, uh, that money isn't the ruling uh, factor in our engagement with our clients. It's also how the values are followed. And that sends such a strong message that you're standing behind your employees and push comes to shove or the shoe is on the other foot. They would do the same for you. Yes. Now we've we've terminated relationships with vendors because we found out that they, they promised us something and they didn't uh, deliver it as they had promised it and the, or the prices would uh, slowly raise without us being notified. And we just terminated them and said, this is the reason why we're not, we want to trust you. We want to have a deep respect and trust that we don't have to be doubting you. And we doubt you now and we don't want to do business with you. And that does all these ways that you use the culture that becomes ingrained in your daily be behaviors is, is incredible. Now our employees, I'd say we, I don't know for sure, but we have over 150 employees and then we have another seasonal 100. And uh, it's amazing to see how they're all the same behaviors. They all smile. They all treat each other with respect. They're individual thinkers and they have individual personalities, but uh, they're not clones by any sense of the, the word. But they are uh, they're good human beings, and it's so wonderful as a as a leader of the company to be able to say I love them, I love all of them. They're wonderful people, and uh, I, I've owned businesses. I've owned many businesses in my forty nine years of being a business owner, and I've it wasn't until this came about that being built on a culture that I truly engage, respect, and trust every employee. So, how has that affected the operations and the profitability of your business? Well, I could give some metrics that would help. Uh, first of all, well, when this happened, we were a middle-of-the-road caterer in the Chicagoland area. And uh, now we're in probably, we're definitely in one of the top four caterers in Chicago, both in volume, uh, sales volume, jobs performed, and reputation. Uh, Another metric that, that is worth noting is turnover. In our industry, it's 50 to 60% annual turnover. And even at a low end, if you use $10,000 as a low end figure, that can become expensive, 10000 per employee. 
Uh, upper level employees, it could be $20,000, $22,000 actual cost to replace an employee between uh, searching for the employee, uh, going through the process of uh, validating their previous employment and, and doing the onboarding. All of that is ten dollars to $20,000. We went from 60% turnover in 2005 to 4% over the last three years. And I don't know how many hundreds of thousands we've saved just in having a stable workforce that's totally engaged. Uh, I would guess that uh, that is one of the most telling metrics of all. Some of the other metrics, high employee engagement. I think we were the first employee engagement that we did in 2006, right when we were doing this change. It might have been 2007, but our engagement was around 44%. The last time we did an employee engagement survey, we were at 92%, and that's just incredible. The average American workplace has 33% engagement, and 50% of their employees are disengaged, which means they just show up and do their job. And 17% are actively disengaged, which means they destroy the company. So to have 92% engagement and only 8% disengaged uh, means that the people are giving their thoughts to the company. And according to the Institute of Mental Health and Wellness, we have about 60,000 thoughts a day. And uh, the average employee gives between 4 and 6% of their thoughts to the company. But when they're highly engaged, I would think, and this is my own thoughts, that it would be up in the 10% ratio. And if that's the case, that means a quarter of a million more thoughts for Tasty Catering. So there's a lot of metrics. So our sales grew, our profitability grew. Here's another interesting metric. In the last three years, our sales have had a single-digit increase, and our profits grown double-digit. And this is a 30-year-old business that's very mature. So to have that kind of profit growth, uh, double-digit profit growth, year after year on a single-digit sales increase means that our employees are thinking about how do they save money, how do they maximize proficiency and productivity, profitability at every level, that all 150 employees are thinking that way. We do profit sharing. We play the great game of business, so everybody gets a share in the profit. But uh, they realize the more they think and the more they act and the more they do, the bigger the profit will be. Mm-hmm. And that directly affects them. Yes, because obviously it's all about them because they are the most important person in the world. The least important person is the owner. The most important person is every one of them. So how do you create an organization where every one of them feels important, feels gifted and feels loved and cared for and that they could be a have a, a conscious impact on the company every single day. And as a loaner, if you could construct that, your employees would be highly engaged. Tell me, what does your typical day look like? I'm not a, a good judge of that because I don't have a typical day. I try not to get into work until 1030 because I want the younger generation of leaders to start the day off right and to handle any issues that might have happened with overnight events and um, do all the follow-up calls and checks. So I like to walk in when everything seems to be stable at 1030 so I don't get involved in making any kind of decisions. And um, then I work on uh, culture issues. Like today, I spoke with three of our people that seemed to be very depressed yesterday, and uh, I saw their their nonverbals, their facial expressions show that they were very concerned about something. They they were just not their their typical selves. And uh, I had three conversations that lasted about an hour and a half with those folks, and we cleared up the air on some personal issues that they had. And um, so after I I get through talking to the employees and checking the employees out in our companies, uh, then I do. 
I answer emails, which is the bane of any business person, right? <laughs> we don't like our emails, but we had addressed the emails and the LinkedIn messages. And uh, then I, I do an overview on all of our companies because we have seven operating companies that I spend time with. But it's gradually, it's changed. And that's why there's not a typical day. It's changed. I do a lot of speaking and um, our book is used in quite a few universities and I lecture a lot at universities. But here, it's more fun turning the operation over to younger people and seeing and developing them and seeing the world through their eyes. So that's what my day at Tasty Catering is about, growing our chefs, growing our, our leaders, our performers, our bartenders, et cetera. That's the fun part. Mm-hmm. Employee development. Yeah. Uh, that's got to be so rewarding. Yes. I, the development, that's a good point. And if I could go off on a tangent about that for a moment. The employee development is not their technical skills because their te- teammates and their and their leaders do that. The employee development I, I like to focus on is their um, their emotional intelligence, the way that they interact with others, the way they grow, their professional, their personal development, not as much as their professional development. Um, Are they buying a house if they want to buy a house? Are they buying a car? What is the disruptors that exist within their lifestyle? And the enemy of employee engagement, I think employee engagement is the true mark of a leader. Let's start there. The true mark of a leader is how engaged their employees are. So I could be a, a if I'm going to, and I judge our leaders internally on their employee engagement scores within their within their teams. So the enemy of employee engagement is disruptors. What causes problems that takes the employees' minds to make them wander and focus on that? An example in our company is we had a door um, that was opening and shutting and disturbing one of the corporate sales ladies. And in a meeting on disruptors, uh, we bring the group together, the company together every month in a good degree council meeting to discuss issues, positives and negatives. Like this coming month is going to be one uh, next week, I believe. Next week, it's going to be on the picnic season, the outdoor season. What do we need? What does each department need, each team need to become very successful during the picnic season? And the second part will be disruptors. What problems exist that need to be addressed by ownership, leadership. So in this meeting about five years ago, uh, the disruptor meeting, this this corporate salesperson said that that darn door opened and shut 104 times yesterday, and it drives me nuts. And I thought if anybody could count 104 times on a door, they're not selling very much, are they? So I, we said we will address that as immediately, and uh, that night my brother taped the door latch, and there's a piece of green tape still on that door latch as a symbolic remember, reminder for me to remember disruptors, and he changed the, uh, the closer for that door. It was the door that leads from the sales office out to the operations office, and then we changed the cubicles so she would no longer have her back to the door, but she would have her face to the door. And it would be surrounded by panels that went up another two feet, four feet in the air. It was went up two feet in the air. And there'd be a window so she could see who was coming in out of that door, but the sound would be blanketed. Well, her sales, then I looked at her metrics. Her sales were like a hockey stick. It was flat and then it curved straight up. Because no longer was the disruptor of that darn door opening and shutting 104 times a day, she was able to focus on sales, her job. 
So the disruptor was removed, her performance accelerated, and now that lady is the assistant uh, office team leader, and she's in charge of the um, special event designers, the ladies that design special events. And uh, that growth, personal growth, came from removing disruptors in her life. And how many of us as leaders have a lot of disruptors simmering that if we just address the disruptors, the business would increase? And, and that brings me to, a, to another point about mm-hmm. businesses. Um, we all we took we look too often at fixing the outcome of a business, the consequence. You know, again, organizational behavior is the antecedents lead to behaviors lead to consequences. I was focused on generating more sales and more profit and less turnover. And ever ever since Aaron named me chief culture officer, and I focused on behaviors, and I went back and I learned from PhDs and great business writers about behaviors. Peter Drucker writes a lot, wrote a lot about this, uh, behaviors. But as I went back and studied that, I noticed this, that if I focused on the behaviors, the consequences improved on their own. If I focused on the behaviors of a salesperson, her sales performance increased. But if I focused just on the outcome, saying, Jody, you need to sell more, you need to sell more without removing the disruptor, which caused poor behaviors, it wasn't any good. It was not going to work. So when we focused on the behaviors, we found out the outcomes, the performances were magical. And Drucker says that. He said the outcome of every organization is directly related to its behaviors. Another point on this employee engagement is that employee engagement is the emotional commitment an employee has to its organization's values, vision, and mission, which results in higher discretionary thinking. So if there's no values, clearly defined values, no vision, no mission, or in essence, no culture, no clearly stated cultural behavior, then how does an employee ever become emotionally committed to its organization? And it's the same as in our personal lives. When we, when we love somebody and we want to create a long-term relationship, before we get into how we create the love, if, if you know, when I met my wife, when I found out she had values that were unapproachable and they were wonderful values, we shared the same values. She did better at the time than I did. She I was a little crazy person, but she was spot on with her values. Then her vision, we shared the same vision. Should we get married and be happy? And then the mission, how do we get to our vision? All of that worked out right. So when we come into an organization, why don't we have the same thing? Why don't we have clearly stated values, the accepted behaviors? Why don't we have an agreed upon vision that we can look forward to every day working on the missions, what it takes to achieve that? So, and then the discretionary thinking will automatically increase because you're working towards a goal. So as a leader, as a leader, I have to earn your respect. I have to earn employees' respect. I have to earn their trust, and I earn the trust through being vulnerable and intimate by admitting when I'm wrong, like I did to Sherry when I said I'm wrong, I shouldn't have yelled. I apologized. And at that point, they can become emotionally committed to the leader. So now we want emotional commitment to the organization, and we want emotional commitment to the leader. But if the leader doesn't follow the values, they'll never have emotional commitment. So... I think it became very, very obvious and logical that once I started focusing on the outcome of the company and started focusing on the behaviors, I realized what it takes to have people trust me and uh, believe in me. And then the company just miraculously got better. So we did research when we wrote the book, It's My Company Too. We did research, academic-based, evidence-based research into 
what made small businesses explode and what made small businesses win awards like best places to work and uh, had high engagement and what was the factor behind this? And we found out there were values-driven organizations that had high employee engagement. And then my thought was, how did they get the engagement? But it wasn't leadership. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't systems and processes. It was the, the engagement, which was a byproduct or the end result of all of those. That's fascinating. There are not that many chief culture officers out there now. So it seems that this is an evolving role, an evolving position that, that's going to make a huge difference. Well, there aren't a lot, but I just want to throw some statistics out for your listeners, Laura. I believe it was 2012, uh, millennials became the largest generation in the workplace. 2013, women became the largest gender in the workplace. 2014, um, Merriam-Webster Dictionary said culture was the most researched word online. Now, I think that that's a trend that's pretty impressive and obvious. Young ladies looking for culture-based organizations, right? <laughs> There's a progression there. First, we have millennials, young, then we have women, and then we have culture. And all of our event planners and our salespeople are women, just because usually you don't approach a guy to design a wedding. It's it's, it happens, but it's less and less. It's mostly the ladies are into the designing the weddings, for example. And the brides want to choose a company that has the same values the bride does. They, she wants to be able to trust her event planner. So by building this culture, the result, the consequence has been incredible. It's been an outcome that's shown that it, that, uh, it works. So other companies are starting to pay attention to culture because it's become such a buzzword. I was at, uh, I was at uh, the Small Giants Summit in Detroit, Michigan last week, and uh, they announced the winners of Forbes Magazine's Small Giants, the best small companies in America for 2019. Tasty Catering won that award uh, the first year, I think it was 2017. And as I met some of the new new members of that group, but plus the a lot of members in the small giants, there are chief culture officers. There's chief people officers. There's chief uh, chief people and culture officers. There's a lot of titles like that now, which didn't exist before. There's also a move in human resources to, to have organizational development people, people that have either a master's degree in org development or have studied organizational development or org behavior be in in HR, not just people that follow uh, the principles and the rules and regulations of human resources, but people that learn how to develop an organization. So there's a movement now to saying, yes, rather than beat people about getting more profitable and the problem we have, all of our companies now, I mean, all businesses have a people problem. There's just not enough good people to take the jobs. And that's a very fortunate position to be in for the company, for the country, but maybe not for a company. So I was amazed last week, there must have been 250 people at this conference to find there was at least 30 chief culture officer type titles in attendance. And that was amazing. That shows a, an emerging trend. Tom, how does this affect your hiring process? And, and when you're interviewing somebody or your, your team uh, to hire them to work at uh, Tasty Catering, how how do you assess whether they're going to fit in and respect the core values? 
that's the most important factor that guides our hiring process. We screen for skill, but we hire for the attitude. We hire people that, uh, and we ask them to talk about values, values in their life. Uh, we ask them to talk about an emotional occurrence in their life when it came to values and what choices did they make. Uh, one of the benefits from having a great culture and being recognized for a great culture and winning these awards, we've won 53 awards that are around the best place to work or culture, something like that, is that, and we also market our culture. So it's it's on our webpage, on, our first, on the landing page, the homepage. I believe it is. I'm not sure. I haven't looked at it recently. We just received a new uh, uh, website. But we use it in our marketing. We market our people. We market our wonderful people because they're the most important product we have as our human beings that work with us. But that leads to uh, a desire to work here. Sue Funkhausen is a great organizational development expert that's very well recognized. And she has four statements of what culture means to an organization. And one of them is that it hire, that it attracts and retains top performers. And our last two sales event planners that we hired uh, came to us because of our reputation for our culture. One came to us from uh, from a different city. She's working for a zoo doing special events, and she remembered one of her classmates from her school of hospitality. She went to Bradley University School of Hospitality, was working at Tasty Catering, and had remarked to her how much she loved her job. And when the position came open, she emailed her girlfriend that still works with us and said, is that true? How do I apply? And uh, and she got the job. And then the second girl was a girl that worked almost in Indiana, worked by O'Hare Airport. So that's probably 45 miles one way. She said for two years, she'd been waiting for a job to open a position to open a tasty caterer as an event planner because one of our former event planners had told her what a wonderful culture it was and what a great place to work tasty catering was. And uh this girl came to work for us. This young lady came to work for us, and she's remarkable. She is one. Both these new ladies are just God's special people. They're just wonderful human beings. And uh, they were two of the ladies that I spoke with today, two of the three people I spoke with today. And their concern is how do they continue growing tasty catering? And um, so the culture actually attracts people to work at tasty catering. That's incredible. L- let me ask you this Would you have any? advice for veterinarians, veterinary specialists that who are going out and interviewing how to research the culture of a veterinary hospital. So they could have the core values could be stated on a plaque on the wall, but how do you really know if they're upheld by the employees within the hospital? Do you have any suggestions as to how somebody might do that research? Sure. If uh, the core values are posted somewhere in the building, I would go up to anybody you you see, especially the director of the first impressions, which is your receptionist, and say, could you tell me what your core values are? And if the receptionist can't answer them, keep walking. (laughs) Obviously, they're not in force because that is the director of first impressions. Um, I would ask every employee that I met, what makes this uh, hospital good? What's the differentiator here? Because values are the biggest differentiator. What why do what do you like the most about your job? And if the employees can't answer, if they say the pay, the hours or something, well, then it's not the right place for a values-driven person. 
But if they say there's a very unique culture here, there's a special feeling when you work at this place, then it means the culture is alive, and especially if they can repeat the values. We repeat the values before every meeting of uh, five people or more. So our employees are repeating the values sometimes three times a week. So then it becomes an assumed behavior. It becomes the way you are and uh, it gets down into your subliminal behavior system. So if, if, uh, if you're going to work in a veterinary hospital or if you're going to hire people in the, in your veterinarian and you're going to hire people, if it's always aligned by the values, the rest of it can, you know, the actual skill level can take care of itself. But if the people have the wrong attitude, it doesn't make any difference how good they are skilled, how highly skilled they are. It just is not going to work. So that's, it sounds like your starting point. If you uh, are a veterinary hospital owner and you don't have anybody that's responsible for culture and you hire somebody or add that on to somebody's title, that probably the place to start would be defining or, or with the with the employees defining core values like you did in, in Tasty Catering. It sounds like that would be a good place to start. Doesn't matter if my product is food and a veterinarian's product is uh, health for for um animals, it doesn't make any difference what the product is it's because you're still working with human beings, the most complex system of all. Align everybody by values and the rest of it will become much better. You had said to me in one of our previous conversations that because the employees actually were part of creating the core values, that they are responsible to them because they did create them. And so they weren't handed down from the top. They were part of the, the creation. And that intrinsically makes for a better culture. Oh, that's the magic word, intrinsically. It's an intrinsic motivation for those employees to make sure new employees follow it. So six of the original seven that created this culture in 14 years ago are still working with us. So 14 years later, six of the seven are still here, and one left to go to her family business because her family wanted her to bring that kind of culture behavior into their company. But the amazing part is, is our employees terminate new employees if they're not behaving right. They'll come up and say, that person's not one of us. They should go. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Okay, well, let's terminate them. And, uh, you know, we tell people that in their first 90 days, we're going to watch it for adherence to the core values. And if that's good, they've got a long career with us. And if it's not, we're going to have a few words with them. And at the end of 90 days, if you don't like it, you can leave and we'll give you a check and a record letter of recommendation. And uh, so you do it in a very positive manner. But yes, people are weeded out just for their for their culture adherence. Mm -hmm. Does Tasty Catering have any big changes coming up this year in, in the culture or big events or anything like that? Every day is typically a big event at Tasty Catering because we do 9,500 plus and uh, some are monstrous events. But uh, the most importantly is we have a 32-year-old CEO that's replaced me, and that's the biggest event of the year as Cornell took over from me as after four years as my understudy. He told me four years ago he wanted the job, and so I said, okay, it could be yours. And uh, that is watching, the new, watching our employees circle around the new CEO is so much fun. It's got to be so rewarding, Tom. That it is. This has been great. It's been very insightful. Again, I, I, not many veterinary hospitals – have folks that are responsible for the culture. And it's what everybody is looking for today, as you mentioned. And um, I'm hoping that this insight will help everyone um, learn more about it and um, how to, to make some changes. And um, in the long run, as you said, it will, it will take care of itself. If you take care of the employees, business will take care of itself in, in many respects. 
Correct. Well, thank you. Thank you again. And um, this has been great. It's been terrific learning more about about your company. And um, uh, I appreciate it so much. My pleasure, Laura. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye, Tom. Thank you for listening to our podcast in the series, Is Veterinary Medicine Ready for a Chief Culture Officer? If you have any feedback or would like more information about our services, or if you're considering a new position, please feel free to contact me at laura at vetcareerservices.com or directly on my cell, 804-833-0585. Stay tuned for the next episode.